Hello and welcome to the Pokey London Flat series with me, Afro7. Today I've got a very, very, very special guest. I know I say this every week, but this is indeed a special guest. You know, we've never had her on before. In fact, I've never actually spoken with her before, so it's the first time for you and it's the first time for me. Welcome to the show, Mo. Thank you, Tala. It's so great to be here, actually. Yeah, it's my pleasure, entirely. Uh, thank you for honouring the invitation. I know you're a very busy lady, so... We appreciate this hour you're about to give us. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm really excited about it, you know, honestly. Excellent. All right. So it's been an interesting, what, shall I say, fortnight for you on the interwebs, on the social media spaces, you know. Um, so to give a bit of backstory to our listeners who aren't really au fait with what, what I'm on about. So essentially uh, two weeks ago or so, thereabouts, Honey, that's Humans in New York, was in Lagos, or at least he, he uploaded his Lagos posts, and uh, generally, I think the consensus was, oh, look at our stories, and some people said, oh, it couldn't have been coincidental that he ran into a lot of these same people that we already know on social media, or who are already famous, so it must have been, like, sorted one way or the other, so that was the general chatter around it. Then our lovely Mo, you know, gave her piece on the series and I think I'll leave it up to you to say what you said because I don't want to misquote you so what was your take on on Honey Lagos okay so I had um I think I mean to start with of course I'm a fan um of Humans of New York and it's very difficult not to be a fan and also it kind of like you know it holds a special place in my heart I would say because I up until a few weeks ago I lived in New York um for a few years um, so, I mean, those were stories I could relate to. Those are stories of people sometimes, you know, I could see on the on the streets. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I actually saw this story. This actually makes sense. Um, so, I mean, I was really excited when Humans of New York, when Brandon was coming to Lagos. And I thought it was, I thought it was great, right, that he was expanding, he was expanding the material. Um, and then my, my take was, so I was, you know, I was really excited about it. And I was you know, just following up on the stories. And by the time he was done posting the stories from Nigeria, you know, I was, I felt, I felt it was, it was a bit unfair in the sense that, so when I say I felt unfair, not, not, not like I was blaming him, but I just felt like this is not like, I mean, I know that my country is grappling with so much. I know that we are really dealing with so much, but this is not all my country is about. And you know how social media is, people just take bites and then that's it, right? So he has presented, you know, he had presented what he met on the ground and people he spoke to and which was fine he probably did it in the most fair way possible but as a nigerian especially as a nigerian living in diaspora i was like no this is this is not all my country represents so i, I my tweet was simple so i said um you know what brandon should um something about like he should didn't he find one positive story and by positive what i just meant was the fact that like there's one story that sh nigerians are very resilient people nigerians are very happy people as well so like i mean just one story that actually captures the essence of being nigerian outside all the suffering that we're currently going through i just felt it was just being nice to have you know a few of those so that's what i expressed and of course you know the the timeline went I don't know. You know, people just pick, like I said, people just consume this information in bites. Uh, yeah, and just, I, I mean, I think yeah. they picked on a particular tweet of yours where you said yeah. something about your friend in New York and you were trying to tell him that this there was more to Nigeria than, than the sadness and the misery and the whatever. I mean, I don't think I'm quoting the tweet right, but I think that's the essence of the tweet, yes? Yeah, and, it, and it, it's yeah, and it's fantastic that you actually brought that up because, you know, when people say friend, right, so... <laughs> 
when I first moved to the States, I, I, I remember running into an American woman um, in school. Um, and then she said to me, she said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Nigeria. And then she looked at me and then she handed me something. I think it was like a sandwich or something. And she was like, you're safe here. And I was like, oh my what? God. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, she was, and, and I, I, was, I, was, I was on campus. So literally, I was just like, what the, like, what just happened? So, <laughs> so I was like, and I don't even eat bread. So I was really upset about the fact that she handed me bread. So I was like, wait, what? So, and this is me in an Ivy League institution. She was, she, she was, a, she was a professor at an Ivy League law school. A whole professor, and, imagine. Yeah, exactly. She was a professor at an Ivy League. And I was like, wait, what just happened? So at the time, I was dating um, this Nigerian as well, and um, we were in the same we were in the same school. Um, I mean, not so many Nigerians in my school at the time. So I went I, I went to him and I told him I was like, man, something strange just happened. Like you know, and he laughed and he thought it was a lie. You wouldn't believe it that two weeks later he came to me and he was like, Mo, I think I just ran into the same woman and she told me exactly <laughs> the same thing she told you. Seriously, like he was like, and then I was just like, what? <laughs> Now, picture this. My school was in New York. My school was an Ivy League school. My school was a law school. She was a professor. Mm. So this is someone who, who you, would have, you would assume had, you know, a she clue was a about school, the outside right? world. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then she looked at me and she looked at my boyfriend at the time and then she told us that we were safe to be in America. Frankly, if I'm being honest with you, I think I actually felt a lot safer in Lagos. When I, was, when I first moved to New York, I never used to like, I couldn't just, you know, um, I mean, that's, there's a whole situation around it. But what she said wasn't just fact. And now it just takes me back. So when I say my friends in New York, I didn't really mean, I'm not trying to impress anybody. No. What I just meant is that these people don't know anything about my continent outside what I tell them, right? So outside what they, what they consume online. So basically, you know, this is me spending years trying to educate and be like, no, you know, I've had situation, situations where I'm at dinner. Yes, in New York, I'm at dinner. And then somebody will tell me and say, how many wild animals do you see when you come out of your house? I'm not joking in Lagos. I mean, and I'm like... It's not... To me, this is this is part of the course. I moved here when I was a kid. So I was 11 when I moved here. I'd finished primary school in Lagos. I was island for like three years. And my parents decided to move me over. When I came, like, people asked me if I lived in a hut, if my father was a hunter, you know, all these kinds of things. And I was a kid, and I was thinking, what's in the worry these ones? Like, what's that? Exactly. The, exactly. Only, so, the only know, animals I saw were goats and cows and chickens. And, <laughs> and chickens, know, exactly, yeah. right? So, so people it, ask me stuff like that. So when I say, so I spent a couple of, I spent, I spent a long time trying to just tell people, like, you know, this is, and it, you know, it's not coming from a place of, you know, um, unkindness yeah, or anything. Or haughty they just pride don't know. Or, I mean, exactly. I, I, think, I think that for us, and I mean, us in this instance means that people who live or who have who have lived in a diaspora, but especially people who do live in a diaspora, there is a way you view your country, and that is, there is an us language and an outside language. So when I'm speaking to a Nigerian, exactly. I can complain about my country all day long. Exactly. I mean, you see me on Twitter, you know how I do. But when I'm speaking to someone yeah. who's not Nigerian, there is a particular way that I also speak about my country. So it's like I, feel exactly. like, I feel like I'm representing not just myself, but the entire country. It's a pressure I put on myself. Obviously, nobody told me to feel this way, but I can't help it. Okay, so like, all right. So that That's was excellent. Your, that was so that, that was it, that, that was, was what take. I was just trying to that was just just what I was just trying I to get that. see you know I, yeah exactly I've spent time just trying to tell people who are more than this and then they are just sending me messages and they're like oh look at this look at this you know Twitter, so. Twitter, Twitter does what it does <laughs> um, so I also had a feeling when I when I read the series I mean I think what struck me was all right so apart from the people whose meetings were organized so that's like the artist the chick who paints. 
um, the TV presenter, the lady who does the blood bank, and I think my friend EE. E., I like I'm not gonna speak about his story at all. But the those people, I'm not gonna speak about them because that wasn't a chance encounter. Those meetings were brokered, yeah. But the people he met on the streets. So we had the lady with the with the oranges, I think, on her head. We had the tailor. We had the security guard. We had the the lady who survived an, a sexual assault. We had who else did we have? We had I think I'm I think I'm missing one person. All right. Oh, and we had a lady who I think was an artist or designer or something, and yeah. she needed money for something or the or the third. Right. So the common theme amongst all those people and all those stories was either poverty or 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 money. Now what struck me was. Like, look, I'm Nigerian. I have relatives in Nigeria, right? And every time I speak to them, they say, hi, how are you? Fine. Sister, I beg. If you send me 10k there. So that's it. That's like the extent of the conversation, right? So it, it they will say hi, just so it's not like they just go straight to the money issue. But that's the extent of our conversation, right? It's not like I'm close with them, but that's what they ask every time we speak. And even when I'm in Nige and I'm attempting to have conversations, it always turns around somehow to money. And I'm not talking about with my peers. I'm talking about with my close relatives or distant relatives or whatever it always comes around to money so now this series is being seen by the entire world and look we're not you're you're in the u.s i'm here nigerians are very successful here very very successful here i think amongst the black diaspora we're number one um in the u.s i've read that nigerians are the most educated uh minority yeah. group immigrant group whatever okay mm -hmm. so these are the two views that I bring when I'm looking at these posts. I'm like, we are way more than this, okay? Not, and not even, it's not even about poverty. Because, like you said, rightly, most of the country is poor. Most of the country is poor. Most of the country needs money, okay? So if every single person, this is your situation, what is it essentially about you that is your story that makes you different from somebody else? That is what I grappled with. That is what I struggled to see in the stories. Now, I think my sister said to me that maybe I'm being unkind because I'm here and, you know, I can afford the luxury of thinking about other things except money and these people can't. And I had to stop and say, look, you're British. You were born and raised here. I was raised in Nige and here. And I was very poor at a particular point. Everybody in the neighborhood was poor. But that was not all we did. That was not all we talked about. That was not an essence... That was not our essence, essentially. And I'm not saying that's all these people talked about, but there was always money in the mix, right? Now, you compare us with the Ghanaian series, people are talking about things they've done, experiences they've had, places they've been, dreams they have for the future. And I know some people in the series talked about dreams they have for the future, but money was essentially the, the bow around, around the gift, so to speak. So I'm saving money so my children can go to school or... My parents didn't have money, so I'm now doing this. Or the politicians only bring money, so now I'm doing... Do, do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, yeah. So I think for me, that was a point of, like, vexation, because I'm like, yo, I know we need money, I know we're poor, but we're people, we go through things. We're complex as well, do you understand? And I don't know who, who I was annoyed with. I don't think it was with Brandon, though I wondered about the kind of questions that he asked. But I don't think I was angry with Brandon. I think I was frustrated that it, it, it came across like there was no more to us than our struggles and our need for money. Do you understand? And I, yeah. don't, I, I don't know if people listening can, can, can really feel, feel my frustration and feel that I'm not trying to downplay people's experiences or lives. 
it's just I felt like the series failed to capture that Nigerianness, that doggedness, that that I'm not gonna give up, that I'm doing this on the side, I'm doing this on the side. These are my dreams. These are what I'm aspiring to. Like that thing, that thing that makes the whole world look at us and say, okay, you're Nigerian. I know you're gonna get it done, right? So that's, that's what she just said to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna just piggyback on that sentence. See, when I when I first started working, um, I I had met. So there was this place we had intent for one year, and um, my boss said it. I was going through some stuff at work one time, and she's you know she's American, but she's very you know she's well traveled. She's mm -hmm. lived on the continent for mm -hmm. for a bit. And she actually said the same thing to me. She's like, Mo, you're Nigerian. You are going to get through this. I am going to come out on top. So, I mean, some people understand it, but this is someone who has been on the continent for like 25 years. Mm. So she, even if she was, even if she's American, right? Like, so she, or has been doing work on the continent for 25 years. So even if she was American, but because she had actually interacted with Nigerians, she knew that it was more to, you know, just like you mentioned, there's more to it. And then I think we, we sort of like have the same frustration. So for me, I, I mean, with with Brandon coming into town, okay, he was that's really the one thing. Sorry, work. sorry, I just need to say this before I forget. Yeah, sorry. Not for the people whose interviews were arranged, for the normal everyday people. I think that Nigerian excellence was not captured. Do you understand? And there is such a thing as Nigerian excellence. People might scoff, but it's a thing, all right? And I think in Ghana, the Ghanaian-ness was so present. Apart from the fact that the people were Ghanaian, there was something that was present and seen in every post, apart from the one that was about surviving sexual assault where people wanted to do something for their country, where people were in the country for a purpose, where people were hustling. There was a man who was kicked out of his uncle's house because he stole, and in the end, he said, look, I was angry with him, but now that I've got a job, I realized that he wanted me to stand on my own too as a man. That kind of self-reflection, that kind of complexity. Or the, the couple that even said, you know what, we thought about the fact that where were we going to raise our son? Right. You know, we said we're going to, we're going to raise him in, you are going to raise him here back home. Like, you know, it was just, yeah, and these sto these stories are in Nigeria. These story these people exist. I know that there are a lot of people giving up on the country, moving to Canada or whatever. But the point is, the Nigerian story is not a single story in the sense that we're either needing money despite poverty, or we're in poverty and we're just surviving. Even though I know a lot of the country is poor, right? But in in, in even in poverty, people are doing things and making things happen. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I just wanted to get that out. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally, so uh, it, it, interestingly, so my, my mom actually, my mom runs this school, um, it's a social enterprise, and then what she's, it was her retirement plan, and she's like, oh, I'm retiring now, I have this building, and she's always taught all her life, and she decided to set up a school that provides quality education to people, to kids from the lowest income brackets in the mm -hmm. society, so most of her, most of the most of her parents are, you know, bus, bus, bus conductors, um, um, Okada riders, um, and you know, and the truth about this is, I taught for a one year, for a whole year while I was in uni, um, I was it was a strike, so I taught for a whole year in her school, and I was interacting with these parents every day. These are people who we would classify, and rightly so, as extremely poor, right? These are people who were struggling to pay two thousand naira of school fees, but I interacted with them every day, and I understood that there was more to life than that. They would come and say, see, we don't have any money to pay school fees or even to feed our kids. But there was more to that. I interacted with them during PTA meetings out of school. There was more to their lives than the fact that, you know what, we couldn't just afford stuff. And then just like, and then for me, that's, that's, that's really, it was a lesson. That, that experience was really a lesson for me 
to begin to see people outside how much I think they have. And I think even as Nigerians generally, we haven't gotten to that point where we can, even ourselves, right, like see ourselves out of, you know, how much money do I do I have? Like, I, I think money is really important. And it's really, really sad that Nigeria is poverty. Well, now the poverty capital of the world where we have so millions of people living in extreme poverty. But the truth is being able to understand that people are people first is very, very vital before you begin to lay out on the fact that, oh, but they lack this and they lack that. So for yeah. me, like, you know, yeah, that, that yeah, essence yeah. of being a person is much more important than exactly, everything. Exactly, exactly. It's more, and, and, you know, one, one thing I say to people is this. I was gonna, this is something I was going to mention to you. So for my day job, um, a lot of people on the timeline don't know what I do for my day job, and I'm going to say it here for the first time. So I work for I, I work for a I work for an advice I work for an, for a social impact advisory firm, and what we do is that we help social enterprises that are solving problems around um, access to healthcare, access to education, access to um, um, and access to financing. We help them try to raise money so they can impact their communities. Now, why is this important, and why is it related related to this? A lot of my clients are solving very hard issues that lock people in poverty. And I've done this work for a long time. And what I have realized is that I used to work with an NGO before I, before I moved to this advisory firm because I wanted to do, do good. You know, I would see stories where I'm like, this person is poor and I want to help them. But I easily realized that if you want to move people out of poverty, what you have to do is solve those challenges that lock people in poverty at scale. So basically, you're solving issues like access to healthcare, access to quality education, those are the kind of issues that if you don't solve them at scale, people are going to always remain yeah, poor. Yeah, exactly. And you don't do that by handouts, individual handouts. No, you don't. Individual handouts don't work. Now, there's something that, in, when, I was, when I was in school, my professor would say this thing, when she, 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 my law and development professor, she used to call it consumption of poverty. She's like, a lot of us sit down and we just want to consume and say, oh, you know what, this person, I'm, at least I'm better than this person. Um, you know, and it just makes us feel better. But the truth is, if you really want to solve that problem of poverty, you are going to roll up your sleeves and think about what you can do in your corner of the world to be able to help raise people out of poverty at scale. So she will say, oh, you know what? You can, you can donate all you want to donate. But the truth about it is that if you're not sitting down and caring about the policies that lock people in poverty and contributing your voice to those, po um, those policies, you're just not doing anything. Yeah. You, you're just not doing I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not I'm not as involved as I would like to be. I mean, I do I don't go to church, I don't go to the mosque. I'm not really religious like that, but I do believe in giving a portion of your wages to help people less fortunate than yourself. In in quotes, um, so I try to do that, right? And and as much as poverty night bothers me, I realize that I'm not given enough of my time. So I'm into I'm. I hate I hate saying I'm a creative because you know it just sounds pompous as fuck. But <laughs> I'm, I'm into like the creative side of things, so I try to help up and coming artists because invariably they're poor, they're ill educated, they're ignorant, right? Because they get shafted so easily. So I try to make it my business to put them onto game, like yo, do this, don't do that, do that, don't do this, and that's like my little corner that I'm trying to make a difference in. But I think I think. There is this thing on social media, and I'm probably guilty of it as well, where there is a stinginess of understanding. Like, um, it's it's very easy to 
deduce what you think the person is trying to say without asking what it is what it is the person means yeah right? that's because exactly right that's yeah. too much work for a lot of people it's far easier yeah. to react than to ask what yeah. it, what is it you mean you know and especially when everybody's headed in one direction you follow them like i said i thought yeah. this, i thought the series was boring and i stand by that i think it's boring now i'm not saying lives are boring or individuals are boring the thing is honey is entertainment whether we like it or not it is carefully curated entertainment because entertainment is to get a rise or a reaction out of you and that's exactly what Huni does be it people donating money be it people talking about the stories that he featured the point is it makes you feel a particular kind of way and that's what entertainment is now i'm not saying he's doing it for entertainment but the purpose and the point is he's got an instagram he's got a twitter and people have reactions to these stories now he Essentially, for me, the stories were around about the same thing because the essence of the stories were around about the same thing. And I thought, okay, there are way more Nigerians doing way more things, even poor people or as well as poor people. So the poverty is not the issue. I am not running from the issue because I recognize that I'm from Lagos Island. I don't know if anybody knows what Lagos Island looks like. That's where I was born. That's where I was raised. I didn't come from roses and, 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 and gardens. You know, I came from the streets of Lagos. That's just a fact. The difference is my, my, my father was here so he could send a little bit of money for me to go to private school, but I still came back to that island. I still came back to the middle of poverty. I didn't have it as, as bad as other people, but we were poor. Sometimes we didn't have enough. Sometimes we had enough to share with other people. And life went on, right? But in the middle of all that, you had somebody who was poor and was playing football and was going to Europe. You had somebody who was a Fuji musician and he was training kids in the neighborhood. You had somebody who was a tailor who, who would be booking appointments in July for Christmas clothes. You, those, were, those are stories. Those are like people in the face of poverty doing things and making life happen and going on. Some of those stories reflected that, but the point is there is a gamut of Nigerians, a gamut of experiences that we need to take on board. And it's funny to me because I think at least a week before Brandon came out, somebody said something about Cuppy. And a lot of the responses were, oh, it's not, it's not her fault that your father's poor, or it's not her fault that you're poor. People could see then that there are different Nigerian stories and different Nigerian realities. But funnily enough, when this story broke and you said what you said and I said what I said, Everybody was like, oh, don't you know the Nigerian reality is poverty? Like, yo, come on. <laughs> you know, one, one thing I, one, one, one of the things I always, t I, I, I even tell people, I, I was, um, I, I, if I might be wrong on this statistics, but I think the United States has the, um, has the highest rate of um, murders in, in the world right now. But when you think of coming to America, that's not the first thing you think about. You don't think about the fact that when I land in JFK, somebody's going to shoot me, right? And then, you know, it's it's a very sensitive, sensitive, um, you know, sensitive topic. And it's a reality that a lot of Americans are grappling with. A lot of people are actually living in, living in situations where they're like, oh my God, I'm actually scared. This is terrible. We need to do something about it. But people also recognize the fact that there are so many things that actually make America as a country, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's so many narratives. And the way I always see, I see Nigeria is we are poor. But in spite of that, then what else are we, right? Like, and I think exactly. that anyone who wants to be fair to portray Nigeria as a country should not dismiss that. And, and I mean, one of the things we see in, 19, in 1974, just, you know, just one generation ago, 700, 700 million Chinese people lived in extreme poverty. Today, that that figure is about thirty million, 
And then what that tells you is that, and when we think about China today, we say, oh, China is taking over the world, China is doing this, China is doing that. What we really need is th there's this thing where we have to balance, there's a balancing act from um, what our reality is and what our problem is, and also perception as well, because the perception thing is what is going to make yeah, people I mean, want to do I, business I, I with think, you. I think the perception, coming, living in the diaspora, I think the perception is where I'm bothered. Do you get me? And it's not a matter of me wanting to hide what Niger is. They're, I think Nigerians are the biggest black ethnic group in this country. So we're not hiding shit. We're everywhere. Do you understand? And people tell these stories. And people come from a myriad of backgrounds. I mean, at my school, there were government ministers' kids who probably never had a day of hunger. Who don't know what that looks like. Do you understand? Even in my house, my cousin's father, I lived with my auntie, my cousin's father was a, was a government minister. And we would go to his house and Lekki like, wow. And then we'd go back to our little, <laughs> to our little flat in, uh, you know, on Lagos Island. Like, I've seen that. But the point is, right, perception bothers me because I know to a lot of people, Nigeria is either very successful people or a bunch of scammers and a bunch of prostitutes in Italy and Spain, right? I know that. And these stories are our stories. But in the middle of all that, people are living life. It's hard, but they are living. And the poverty, the insecurity, the craziness is not causing them to stop because the resilience is what you need. The resilience is, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if any of this is making sense, but it's just how I felt when I read the series. And I juxtapose that with how I feel looking, still looking at the Ghanaian stories. I'm like, yo, we have this in Nige. <laughs> like, come so on. So the thing about, one of the things I just, I just, I just concluded, because I was also worried. I was worried about, because um, I was like, wait, what are, why are people not saying what I'm saying? But like, in terms of like thinking through, thinking about this, you know, if any of it is making sense. I feel like even from this, you know, podcast, people will still take away whatever they want to take away. And oh, that's 100%, fine, really. 100%. Yeah, and that's, the, and, and that's fine. You know. that <laughs> so, it, and, and that's fine, you know, if you, if you, um, it, it, you know, so, so when you see issues, you should be able to think about the issues, you know, as a whole. But if you can't think about issues as a whole, then that, that's fine as well. Because even me personally, there's some, there's some issues I just can't think about. I can't think about the whole picture just because I have blind spots, right? So, mm -hmm. so but, you know, so it, it's fine. And then I realized, one of the things I also I realized was also perception as well. As a Nigerian in diaspora, the perception is different and it becomes even more, even it becomes, I mean, I mean look, look at me, like somebody walking up to me and telling me you're safe now and handing me bread. Do you know what, like, I mean, like, <laughs> even though you're you, you were at an Ivy League school and it's not like you came there to beg yeah, exactly right? and, and, and this was me who had four years experience as a lawyer in Nigeria like what like do you get like I'm, I'm at meetings on the table and then I'm at the UN having meetings around you know all of those and this thing is very personal to me honestly like I'm at the UN having meetings around like sustainable development and everything and then somebody comes up you know somebody from another country comes up to speak and they're like well we can do this do this do this do that and people are actively listening and when I open my mouth to talk, I can literally feel the pity. They're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, you know, she came all the way from Nigeria. And she can't talk now. How did you people ask me questions? When I, during the, I'm, I'm seriously, Tala, it's not funny. During the period, during the last um, the UN um, general meetings, I was there representing my company. And, you know, I, I walk into a room and then, you know, I, I just re made a comment. Um, we're talking about poverty. I spent my entire you know, morning, afternoon, night, talking about poverty. This is what I do um, for my day job. And then I, I just made a comment about, like, you know, thinking through how you could use 
private capital from international investors to solve, you know, this hard issues that we have in emerging economies. And then somebody walked up to me and the person was like, how did you get here? I was like, what do you mean, how did I get here? Like, you know, the person was like, yeah, 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 your flight, you must have had a really, really long flight from Nigeria. I was like, first of all, I live here, number one. Number two, it's just like, I would just hop on a plane. Like, you know, it was almost as if, you know, they were like, they, they couldn't conceptualize the fact that, oh, you came all the way from Nigeria. And the truth is- Maybe you rode a... or you swam. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I flew. And then the truth, the truth is, that, that perception thing, and I have this conversation. And, you know, when I use the word friends, I use it, I use it loosely because I'm talking about colleagues. I'm talking about investors. Yeah, I'm talking yeah, about yeah, investors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to convince to yeah. put their money in Africa. And what I'm saying to them is not like, because they'll tell you, oh, it's too risky. It's full of scammers. People are going to. But I'm like, no, that's not all there is to Nigeria. The truth yeah, is, yeah. there are risks if you put your money in any country. What is just happening is that the, the countries have different risks. Right? I mean, we, have we, have, we have to... terrible, we have terrible perception. I mean, I think I grapple yeah. with that. And as much as people know that Nigerians are go-getters, the idea of us is where we don't really function as a country, we're not functioning, which is not entirely untrue. But in the midst of all that, there are things happening. Our music industry is happening. Our tech industry is on the up and rise. Our film industry is doing well, right? The thing is, the country doesn't have very good soft power. You see how America is able to sell itself as, as this hyper-functional society society and all that and then i go to, it, yeah. and then i go to florida and i'm like yo people are really poor out here but we don't really I'm see you, we don't really we don't, see enough of that because yeah, american yeah. soft power is so great right even in the middle of all this nigerian soft power people are consuming nigerian media at ever increasing rates i mean davida was able to perform a concert in suriname and they knew the words to his song suriname is not even an english-speaking country do you understand so i think as a country we don't we don't really use our soft power right Honey is soft power. Like now, look at what Honey has yeah. done for the perception of Ghana. Look at how people yeah. are looking at Ghanaians as a result of the yeah. Honey trip, right? Honey yeah. is soft power. If if Honey had gone differently, I'm not blaming him, so don't come at me for this. If Honey had gone differently, look, imagine what that could have done for us as a country, perception-wise, I'm saying, perception-wise. But, I mean, yeah. oh, sure, sure, there were some people, you know, like, like the lady doing the blood bank, and like yeah, the, and then the the businesswoman as well. Exactly. Like there was a businesswoman who even, I think that was great. Even the even the everyday stories. You know, some people might look at that and feel even more pity and donate to more Nigerians. But I don't want that. I don't want that. I want them to look at us and, oh see, my God. and see people God doing, bless you, and see I'm people not doing religious, things. I'm going to say God bless you I don't that. want that. No, it's true. I, I really don't want, don't want I don't that. want the pity. I don't want people to say I'm donating more money to Nigeria. I, That's not exa- what I want. Exactly. I want people to say I want to go to Nigeria and do business. I, I want to go to Nigeria exactly. and do stuff. I want to go to Nigeria and just tour Nigeria. Bring in money for us. Do you understand? Let my tourism... Let my tourism um, you know, my tourism industry. We need that off. effects. Let we need people, that effects come yeah, through and give dollars. us that. Do you understand? That's... Exactly. I don't. I don't see anybody telling me I want to visit Nigeria based off. No. Like, I don't. But if you look at the comments on oh Honey God, Ghana, yeah, people are on that vibe, but they're not on it with us because, again, it's not necessarily Brandon's fault. I'm even entirely sure it's not his fault. It's us. It's us and how we tell our stories, right? And how we and obviously it's not a it's not an individual's problem. And prerogative to sell Nigeria, quote unquote. Again, it you know people have their lives to live, and that's that's not an immediate concern. But it just made me sad. Like, yo, this is a global platform, and this is how we're yeah. coming across. We're not like okay. So the 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 blood bank lady who I keep calling that, I think her name is Temi. Her name is uh, her name is Temi, and she's, she's yeah. very awesome. She's exactly, incredible. Temi Temi, you are right. So yeah. 
she's a, she's obviously about self-sufficiency where blood blood banks are concerned you've got the fashion designer you've got the artist etc but the point is the key fact is that we are a people in dire need of help we're not self-sufficient people are doing things in a little corner but the overarching impression is that we are in need of course we're in need of help we should help ourselves first and foremost but what i wanted and maybe this is me being a jingoist what i wanted was, was for people to marvel at us to say, yo, Nigerians, man, you guys are trying. That's what I wanted. And yeah, you guys are trying in spite of, exactly. you know, like, that, that's exactly what it is. So it's not even saying that, I'm not saying that, come and dress up the stories. I'm not saying that. Like, you're just saying that, you know what, in spite of, like, when you come to New York, like, the first thing that hit me was the level of homelessness that I saw. But that's not the picture of New York I had before I got to New York. No, who and has that's really, that? that was not, I didn't even know, but I, I'd never seen so many homeless people in my entire life like i literally set up to step out of jfk and i was like what actually when i stepped out that's not true what what's what 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 um what hit me when i started out of jfk was the smell new york <laughs> like it was and i was coming from lagos and then people yeah. say lagos is dirty i'm like what like new york is filthy but that's not what i knew even, like, I was even like, today okay. i'm struggling to accept that because all my life i've, I've thought of new york you know because i'm a hip-hop head right so new york is like a mecca for me all my life i've thought of oh. new york as this amazing you know artistic heaven like when you're saying it's dirty i've never been there so when you oh say it's goodness. dirty like i'm like, struggling i'm that, struggling to reconcile that, that. You, <laughs> the first thing that hits you is the smell so but what i'm just trying to say and you know i think you just hit that uh, that nail on the on the head was that when people read the stories i didn't want them to feel like i'm going to donate more money to nigeria yeah. we know that aid doesn't work aid doesn't work even like from the world bank like from the world bank level even the world bank is moving towards sustainable financing and impact investing because they know that just giving people money and handouts is not working i didn't want people to look i wanted people to look at a country and say you know what? And it's not, I, I know it's not about what I want, but like I just, I just felt like you know it would have just been a lot, a little bit nicer if yep. people would have just looked yep. at Nigeria. Like Nigeria is a country that is going through a lot, yep. but you know what? In spite of that, there are people. I, there's a personal story that I would like to tell. So my, my I, oh. I lost my aunt to cancer. So I lost my aunt to cancer a few years ago, and it was very, it was horrible. She, she knew she, she, she was living in Canada, and she knew that. Okay, you know what? I had just five um, five months to leave, and she said, "I want to go home to my country to die." So she came back to Nigeria, and I was in. So this was this was quite a while ago because I was still in uni at the time. And then she was she was she was literally very close to the end, but she would wake up in the morning, and then she would comb her hair because her hair just started going back after chemo. And then she would comb her hair, and then she would wear makeup, and then she would say, "Take me out." You know, she knew, and at that point, this was someone who was at the tail end, but she wanted us to see something other than that she wanted mm -hmm. us to see something like other than mm -hmm. you know what i'm suffering and this is going to be the end of me mm -hmm. but the truth about it is that i want you to see something else i want mm -hmm. you to remember me and you know what happens if, as much as anything so when i think about my aunt like my mom's my mom's sister when i think about her in an interesting way because i was the person who was taking care of her up until the end um i had to you know stop going to school for a few months just just to do that and you know the funny thing is that even at the end I never, like, when I think about her, I'm sad that she's gone. But I remember someone that was, that just loved life. Like, that's, that's the impression I had of her was not somebody who was, like, suffering and needed to be pitied mm -hmm. or anything like that. It was just someone who had, who had, you know, said, in spite of, I'm still going to go on, you know, mm -hmm. in spite of. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, that was, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think, uh, permit me to use this as a metaphor. I think that's an interesting metaphor, right, for the, for the country and for the people. Now, I have to keep saying this. I think if you're, unless 
unless you're like really blinded and perhaps I'm blinded to an extent, there is no way that you can dismiss this as being unmeritorious, right? Because there is your concerns, my concerns don't come from a bad place, don't come from a need to erase the reality of the country. On the contrary, actually, do you get me? And I, and I think it's it's a problem that we as a people have on social media where we, gr we grab one thing and then we run with it. And then, you know, we decide that the person meant this when we could have just asked or just had a conversation about it. Right. I mean, come on with with our personal histories, at least with my history. There is no way I'm running from this. I know what the country is. I know what drives me to keep being interested in politics. I know what drives me to keep being interested in the arts, right? It's so that people eat from their creation. People learn how to eat from their creation. People understand the rudiments of the arts, the business side of it. You know, that drives me. And that's because I want the country to be better, not because I want to, pre to pretend that it's something other than what it is, you know? So I, I think that should be the takeaway from this. I think when conversations happen when something is going on people will have disparate views and it, it behooves all of us to really ask like yo why do you think this what do you mean by this so we can have proper teachable moments and, and interesting conversations don't just take one thing and run with it and imagine that because i mean i saw mad subs about me mad no, subs. and what was really interesting what was really interesting to me is that i was like okay fine so if you have something if you have a problem with something i said the least you can do really is to just, you know, engage with me and ask me, okay, what exactly is going on? That's how we have conversations. We grow. Like, and then just anybody that has been on my timeline. And for me, what I was even surprised about was about people who knew me and knew what I cared about. People who knew, like in 2014, I literally did not, I, I just heard that they were internally displaced people in Nigeria. And I'm like, what does that mean? I went by myself. I, I started asking people and I went by myself. I didn't even tell my family nothing. And I went to Yola, I went to visit the the IDP camps just because I wanted to know. Like, so I came back and even up till today, I mean, I'm quiet about it on the timeline, but then we made a lot of noise about it, trying to raise some, but even up till date, I have people, you know, we come together and then we've been supporting IDP camps across the Northeast since 2014. And the truth about it is that some people, like, this is me that when I see a problem, I'm like, okay, what exactly can I even do? You know what, how small it is. I just do and I just do my thing. And then, you know, you so in my mind, I was just a bit confused. And, I, and that's when it occurred to me and I was like, you know what? This is not an argument I should because I was I was a bit I was very confused about it. But I was like, you know what? This is not an argument I should take personal because if anybody has taken the time to try and just know, you know, what I meant or who this person is, then you easily know what I care yeah. about. It's not yeah. you don't even have to go too far. You yeah. would see the things I care about. So yeah. for you to interpret anything unkindly, it's just on you, right? No, like it's not. It's I not, mean, it's I mean, look, really... it's, 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 it's a social media way. I mean, I think if we were all to tell our stories, we'd be here forever, right? I mean, I mean, to be fair, what really just got my goat is everybody assuming they could speak for poor people. Like, yo, I've been poor. Yeah, that's what I, that's meant. I've been, I've been very poor. I've been very poor. Okay, but at the end of the day, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. It was not, we were not just about the poverty, as pervasive as it was, we were not just about the poverty. We were humans with human concerns, with dreams, with aspirations, with hope, with evidence of our efforts and everything and interest, joyful interest as well. So there, there, there are the gamut of, uh, there is rather the gamut of emotions that we also felt and we lived life. It was not, look, if everybody around you is poor, your poverty is not special. Just know that yeah. now your poverty is not special. What differentiates you is what you're doing, what you're interested in, what you like. That's the essence. That's what makes you an individual. That's what makes you a person. That's what 
set you aside, right? So don't, don't come and lecture me and tell me, oh, Nigeria is poor, as if you're speaking to somebody who was born yesterday. So that really annoyed me. But on the flip side, I understand people don't really have the time to hear your story or to hear where you're coming from. And that's the level of conversation on Twitter. I'm not trying to condescend to anybody. I think anybody who knows me and who wanted to engage with me could have done that. And anybody who wanted to understand where you were coming from could have done the same thing. So it was just a bit annoying how out of order the whole thing got and how people started saying mad personal shit without really trying to understand. So that's why I thought this conversation was important. So you could talk at length about what you meant and what Nigeria and Nigeria's poor means to you. So I'm glad we had a chance to really uh, talk about it. Sure, same here, same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you don't know, Mo is one of the founders, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the founders of Stand, Stand to End Rape, right? Yeah, so, well, I was one of the, I would say, founding members, yeah. Okay, one of the exactly. founding members so of Stand to End Rape. Stand to End Rape is basically a support system for survivors of sexual violence sexual assault for for women and children well yeah in lagos yeah especially yeah. and um the you know the group is going strong the group has been in in existence for about what five years now yeah close to five years now yeah, yeah. excellent so what what made you start that and what informed it so just tell tell some of our listeners in case they they're in need of something like that or they want to help that that cause what what propelled that Okay, so um, I interviewed someone for a role a, a couple of years ago, and then she had told me I'd seen something on her resume, which was um, she it was stand to end rape, and I was intrigued um, because at the time I used to provide pro bono legal support to uh, to survivors of sexual and domestic violence just on my own as as a lawyer in Nigeria, and then she told me that this was an organization that she had just started based off her own personal experience. Her name is um, Ayodeji, and I said, you know what, I want to be involved in this. So really, that was really the story, and I explained to her. You know, because I'm a lawyer, I could bring in what I'd always been doing on the side and then just provide that service pro bono. And because it was a missing gap, a lot of people um, who were survivors of sexual violence didn't just know what to, where to go to. Um, so what um, Santo Enrique does is that we provide pro bono legal support and also um, therapy as well. Um, so when people have when people have gone through any form of um, sexual or domestic violence, they reach out to us and um, we sort of ask them you know, what they want to do next. And then if they need therapy, if they want to, they, we provide that as well, um, pro bono. And then if, they, um, if there are tests that need to be done um, and all of that, just to gather evidence in case um, they want to pursue legal action, we help them as well. And in fact, we actually do um, tests regardless. So we let them know what exactly the next steps are to take and what, what their options are. Um, it's also a bit frustrating because one of the things, especially on the domestic violence side, is that why I'm so passionate about the problem of poverty is that, you know, we still have women who go back to their, you know, to their abusers and people who have violated them just because they don't have anywhere to go to. Yeah. And Nigeria as a country just doesn't even have social safety net. So how many people do I... So there's nothing. So they're like, oh, so what am I going to do with my children? So we still go back to the economics around it. That's a bit frustrating for us. But so mm -hmm. far, it's been um, it's been really interesting. We've had um, a lot of support, both locally and internationally. Mm -hmm. And then what we're just doing now is we're trying to build out, at least from the side... So now I, I need... Um, I lead the, um, the the legal arm. So what we're trying to do now is just build out a network of lawyers who want to who are able to provide first level um, support to survivors of um, sexual violence and domestic violence. So if you're a lawyer listening here and you want to support, um, it will be fantastic. Um, just reach out to me and then yeah, 
please do reach out to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's dope. And this is part of the, the helping each other and helping ourselves series that I'm really interested in. So I think it's dope that something like this is going on. Because, I mean, like you said, for a lot of women, there is nowhere else to go. There is no one yeah. to turn to. There is... Um, no safety nets, like you said. So it's it's really dope, guys. If you know, if you can help in any way, shape, or form, please. You know, this is something that's quite close to my heart. Being a Nigerian woman, I don't think I know one woman who has not been through sexual assault or sexual violence of some nature or the other. So I mean, it seems to be de rigueur for a girl, especially growing up in Nigeria, to experience something like this to a level. So I, I'm glad that at least there's some support, even if it's only in Lagos. It's a start, and there's something like this. There's something like this around. I mean, Christmas is coming. Are you guys doing any fundraisers or anything of that nature? I'm, well, we're not doing any specific fundraising, um, but we are open to collecting donations all around all through the year. On our website, we have a donation button where people can just donate. Um, so it's stand to end rape, um, dot org. Yep, stand to end rape dot org. So, Mo, moving on to our final topic now, because, you know, I'm aware of the time. Um, you seem to be a very busy lady, Mo. You know, always on some business tip. You know, like, <laughs> now you've got some. What What is it called? What is your your thing called? Where you advise other companies and you help them out? What is that called? Um, it's called um scale my hustle. Scale my hustle for all you hustlers out there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I just I just realized that a lot of a lot of it's specifically addressed for African businesses, helping them think through. Um, structure because in my work helping people raise money I realized that a gap was really getting businesses to that point where they were investment ready um, and then you know what helps you get investment ready or even growth ready um, is structures in your business and I said okay you know what let me just start curating resources that would help entrepreneurs achieve this so Scale My Hustle is about three months old now but it's really interesting the kind of traction um, it, it has gotten so far so I'm more and more convinced that it's a product that needs to exist it's growing so rapidly fast and now I'm thinking about it and thinking through my time commitments and like I don't know what the next steps will be um, but so far it's, it's been really interesting just interacting with entrepreneurs and helping them figure out how they can better structure their business. Excellent. So if you're out there and you need to take your business to the next level, holler at Scale My Hustle. They might be the place for you. Now, my final question for you is, what do you do for fun? Because, I mean, it's all business, business, business. There must be something you like doing or some things you like doing. What are those things? Huh. Okay, so <laughs> don't judge me. Nah. I'm a poor... <laughs> okay, so I'm a poor dancer. Um, but, you know, so something <laughs> let me something... just say you told you told me this before and let me just tell you something it was the last thing i expected to hear <laughs> so basically um but i i tell people i'm a failing pole dancer because like i've been trying to move from level two to level three level three is where you can turn um where you're supposed to be able to go upside down on the pole i haven't been able to do that i failed my exams three times oh, um, but i'm still i'm still pushing i'm still trying but I, that's what i do I, that's the only thing i i do for fun right now but for me you know it, it was interesting what had happened was i wanted to i cannot dance to save my life so, oh, me so i just googled Welcome to the so i just googled <laughs> so i just googled and i was like you know what dancing schools in new york and then you know how the google adwords just um, pop up and then i saw pole dancing and i was like you know what why be basic when i can be extra i'm gonna do this pole dancing thing and i was like yeah so um but it's really interesting because it's very different um from what i do 
what I do day to day. It, mm. it helps me relax. I go to the class. I meet um, different types of people from all walks of life. People, people I wouldn't, you know, I, I would, I wouldn't ordinarily meet on my job. So it's mm-hmm. very, it's very interesting for me. In fact, my first day, people think, and it's also like I have, I have both um, um, guys and women in my class as well. Women, guys of all um, shapes, sizes, age, ages, you know profession so it's very very interesting but i really really like it it's one thing that you know um so i spend my time doing but in, in as much as i i should i should start to do more more fun stuff i'm trying i'm really really trying i'm getting to a point where i'm like you know what i need to actually now start doing more stuff for fun work for now, work, that's work that's what you do work 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 i mean it's cool i mean to be to be fair you know you're quite impressive and i read Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I read all the things you tweet. I mean, not everything, to be honest, because my attention span is very short. But I, I read a lot of the things that you tweet. I'm like, yo, this is really dope. Because if we can get more women in particular that self-assured, that willing to like share their knowledge and experiences, to, to get paid as well, of course. But if we can get more women to do that, it'll really further further the cause. And the cause for me is women being able to earn women being able to stand up for themselves and women just essentially being able to make a difference in their own lives as well as in the lives of other people so i think you're very much on that path and you're one of the women oh, that, thank I look, you. that i that i definitely admire and look up to in that respect so i'm happy i'm blushing <laughs> see this one <laughs> I, I i'm definitely very very pleased that you honored this invitation so any final words for our listeners out there I mean, I, I think we just talked about it a lot, but what I would just say is um, I think that people should always understand that there are different, there are very many perspectives to um, to issues and being able to just, you know, pause and reflect on what other perspectives might look like is yeah. fantastic for your growth as a person yeah. um, in life generally. Yeah, and I think for me, the, because I'm very opinionated, I'm trying to scale back and share my opinion so freely because it gets me in a lot of trouble a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very opinionated, but one thing I like to think I do is to, is to try to like find out and engage somebody where I disagree with their opinions. It's important for me not yeah. to live in a bubble where everybody I interact with agrees with me because I don't think you really grow that way. Okay, so yeah, anything exactly. I say, if, if you care enough about me or you care enough about engaging me, ask me. You know, ask me. Even if we disagree, ask me. We can have a conversation about it. I don't think you assume, or don't assume that only you understand or only you are empathetic or only you know the reality of what it is to be Nigerian. Because trust me, like I said, I come from poverty. But when I go back home right now, the story the story is not quite the same right so people assume that i come from privilege all my life but it's a journey life is a journey people move from point a to point b and we can all share our stories and our experiences and learn better and do better by ourselves and by each other so the only way to do that is to talk at least the only way to start it off is to talk and to learn from each other so these past weeks i think two weeks or so is they've been quite crazy because people making assumptions about you about your life they have no clue no idea just because you express an opinion about something from a place that they don't necessarily want to understand and it frustrated me a lot so i'm happy that we've been able to get this conversation going and if you have any questions any comments please hit me up on at afro7 on twitter and you can find mo on at mochivious right yeah, that's it. Right. So that's M O C H E I V O U S. 
Yeah, you did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm too much. I'm too much. I'm very good. <laughs> <laughs> but really, thank you, Tola. I'm really, I'm really glad that we got to talk about this. Um, oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you very, very much. You know, it's been my pleasure. And listeners, I will catch you next time. Stay good. Stay healthy. Get some money. Help yourself and help each other. Peace.